Carla was out of breath because I was walking at a quick clip. And she was struggling to keep up. Okay, don't be mad. Every time you say that, it precedes information you know is going to make me mad. The ride from the Detroit airport that Arecchio arranged dropped us off at my office. Because after hearing him tell Carla her house and storage unit had been searched, I figured it was a distinct possibility they'd also tossed my office. Damn it. When I opened the door, it was obvious. Papers everywhere, drawers open. It wasn't like the feds to make such a mess of things. They tended to be more subtle. They wanted me on the alert. I had no idea why, but I got the impression Carla did. After sorting out the place, we hoofed it to the meanwhile, where her car was, and where my next drink was scheduled to occur. So that's where we are when she's asking me not to get mad. Walking down the sidewalk, two full hours after we got off the plane. Did she share this information in the car on the way to the office? No. Did she think it wise to discuss it while we straightened the office? No. Apparently, she used that time to debate whether or not to tell me whatever the hell it was that she should have told me a long time ago. It was obvious she decided it might be relevant during the interview with Arecchio. I could tell from the time he left us alone on the plane, Carla had something on her mind. I honestly didn't know what it was until Arecchio brought up the government contracts. I remembered seeing a stack of papers with official-looking stuff on it, but I didn't pay much attention. They were all boxed up in the attic when the house was sold. All that stuff went... She'd been walking with her head down and crashed into my chest when I stopped and turned around. Went where? I had a hold of her shoulders to keep her from stumbling backwards. My mother, she has them. I left Florida before all that stuff got done, so she took care of it. It was actually one of the nicest things that she's ever done for me. I thought you said you weren't close with your mom. I turned to continue down the sidewalk, but slowed my pace so she could keep up. I'm not. I didn't have anyone else to ask. After I left town, I called her. I told her what to take from the house and what to get rid of, and she arranged the money transfer from the sale. But those boxes that the paperwork was in, they're... I had some baby stuff that I wanted to keep, and... Carla swallowed hard and looked away from me, waving the rest of her thought away with an impatient gesture. There's five or six boxes. Anyway, I think there were like two of them that were boxes full of paperwork that Lorenzo put up in the attic when he cleaned his home office. I looked through them when I was getting stuff down for the Christmas tree, and I remember seeing FEMA on some of those papers and not thinking much about it. But I do remember printouts of emails and signed contracts. I pulled open the door of the meanwhile and let her enter ahead of me. Muggs was standing at the bar. He looked up at us over his reading glasses and shook his head. It was early evening, but there was only one customer. And he sat at the end of the bar reading the sports section. It's about time. Is the Magic Kingdom as magical as everyone says it is? He looked us both over and I realized we were still wearing our ridiculous mouse shirts. I grumbled in unintelligible no comment as he retrieved a bottle of Dortmunder from the cooler, set it in front of me, and then poured a shot. 
customer at the end of the bar folded the paper and slid it toward Muggs, nodding as he dug out his wallet and pulled out a ten, leaving it on the bar in front of him. Muggs, you and I need to have a discussion about our friend here and some gun safety training she seems to not have had. Muggs busied himself, filling a glass with soda, then made a big show of adding a lime wedge, squeezing a lemon into the drink, tossing in a couple of cherries, and topping it off with one of those fancy umbrellas. He slid it toward Carla with purpose, meeting her gaze. Then he looked at me. You and I will have to shelve that discussion for a later date. He walked around the bar, turned the deadbolts on the front door, and flicked off the neon open sign that hung in the window. When he came back around the bar, he adjusted the glasses on his nose and continued reading his newspaper. Carla and I exchanged a look. I downed the shot. Taking a night off? Muggs lifted the bottle and refilled it without looking up from his paper. That lawyer who hired you to find the ex, is she kind of cafe au lait with dangerous curves and a matching attitude? Carla swallowed the mouthful of cherries she'd been consuming. Mercy came here? Twice. Again, Muggs spoke without looking up. Then he slid the newspaper in front of me and looked up at Carla. You sure do drag a lot of clouds around with you, sunshine. The story was buried on page six of the Detroit Free Press, but it appeared the AP had picked up on the Everglades search. Not much info, other than authorities being pretty sure they'd located the remains of Lorenzo Rios, along with a description of his hideout. Below it was a five-paragraph recap of the Lucy Rios case, written by Del Simons. No mention of the embezzlement. Carla and I had worked with Del on a previous case, and clearly he'd recognized her from the picture of Lucy Rios. The paper ran with the story. When I started to pat down my pockets and came up empty, Muggs bent down, pulled my wallet and cell phone from behind the bar, and set them in front of me. Then he tugged out Carla's purse and plunked it down in front of her. He eyed her with grudging disapproval. Don't look at me like that, Muggs. I told him everything. Good, because I don't like being in the middle of this shit. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have asked you to hide the money. Not talking about that, Carla. I'm talking about this. He pointed two fingers at us. I'm only going to say this once and it goes for both of you. In future, don't either of you ask me to keep information from the other. Gives me heartburn. Carla crossed her heart, then stood on the footrail attached to the bar and leaned in to land a peck on Mug's cheek. Promise. I dialed a number, and when he answered, I jumped right in. Dell, working late, huh? Muggs and Carla watched me as I listened to the man on the other end. When he started peppering me with questions, I interrupted. Just listen, Dell, because I have a couple of other things to deal with right now. You think you could hold off on playing Clark Kent long enough for us to wrap this up on our end? It'll buy you an exclusive interview. If you don't, the interviewee might not be alive to answer any questions. Dell's a journalist. I knew he'd do what he needed to do to get the story, but I also knew he was smart enough to make a deal if it benefited him. I promised to call him the next day and hung up. Then I looked at Muggs. What did our not-so-friendly lawyer with the dangerous curves want? Wanted to know where you two were. 
Told her I had no idea. She came back yesterday, brought a suit with her. They both had a burger, but didn't speak to me. I'm guessing she was waiting for one of you to show up. You think she knows the money's hidden here? Carla, since I know you're not a stupid gal, I'll assume you're being purposely obtuse just to further irritate my already irritable bowel. Muggs chuckled and tossed my empty bottle into a bin, pulling out another from the cooler and unscrewing the top before handing it to me. I took a deep swallow and then set it down on the bar a little harder than intended. Let's assume Miss Sandoval knows you've got the money. Let's further assume she's had you tailed for long enough that she caught up to your secret philanthropy. We might even extrapolate that she knows it's hidden here, somewhere. It occurs to me that with all the fancy accounting she and your now-dead former husband may have engaged in, the amount you've squired away is a mere drop in the bucket. All that FEMA stuff happened a couple years ago. There's no telling what she and Rios managed to embezzle from other places over the ensuing years. No, I don't think Mercedes Sandoval is looking for the money, or even cares where it is. My guess is she wants those papers. Do you have any reason to believe this hypothesis might be valid? Um... Mercy's signature might be on those contracts? Carla! Might, Morneau. I said might. I only looked at them briefly. I think I remember seeing her name in there somewhere, yes. But I don't recall the context. Remember, I wasn't looking for clues back then. I was just moving boxes around to find Christmas stuff. Carla pulled the umbrella out of her drink and began opening and closing it. I grabbed it out of her hand. So we can assume whatever is in those boxes might not be something she wants anyone else to see. I slid off the bar stool and stretched my back. It had been a long day, and all I wanted was to get home and sleep in my own bed. Thing is, I didn't see that happening. Sure, we can assume that, Morneau. We can assume a lot of things. That doesn't mean we're on the right track. I spun around and tossed the paper umbrella at her. It bounced off her chest and fell on the floor between us. What are you trying to put off, Carla? Nothing. She yelled the word with a little too much punch behind it. Now Muggs had assumed a similar stance behind the bar, his bulky arms over his chest as he glared at her. Carla looked from me to him. What are you two suddenly getting all paternal about? Interesting choice of words, Carla. My guess is you're not all that comfortable getting in touch with your mom. Why is that? Ugh, Morneau, we just got back. You really want to leave again? Because I don't. But we're not going to get our hands on those damn papers unless I get them myself, all right? My stepfather is protective. Protective of what? Of mom, his land, of everything he has. He has trust issues. Let's just put it that way. I can't call and have them send it. I know he wouldn't do it. He would need to see my face. Hell, he's probably read everything in that box and come up with a dozen governmental conspiracy theories. That's just who he is. He's a former professor who studied the Zabruder film and insists that the assassination of JFK was an intricately designed plot set in motion by J. Edgar Hoover and Castro. And then there's my mom. She's schizophrenic and she's constantly off her medications. What's left of my family isn't so much a family 
as a study in psychosis, if you look at it long enough. Whereabouts are they? Festus, Missouri. Jesus! Don't any of your kin live within a 50-mile radius? Oh, that's not the half of it. They live in a cave. A what? When she opened her mouth to elaborate, I cut her off. Never mind. It's probably best if we let this newest adventure unfold naturally. Mugs, bag up a couple of bottles and put them on my tab. Carla, pull out your smarty phone and get us driving directions. I need to stop by my place and pack some stuff. Because this ridiculous shirt has taken me as far as it's going to take me. We're leaving tonight? Yep. And we're taking your embezzled stash out of Mug's bar. No reason for him to be mixed up in this any further than he already is. I followed Muggs through the bar into the kitchen. It had been a while since I'd been in there. But the only thing that looked different was the door on the walk-in freezer. Jeez, Muggs. Is a side of cow going for so much these days? You need a vault door complete with keypad? That must have cost you a pretty penny. Muggs leaned over and bumped Carla's shoulder with his. Yeah, well, pretty penny here paid for it. Yeah, it's amazing how quick you can get shit done when you're paying cash. Muggs punched a code into the keypad, and a little click preceded him pulling the lever down and opening the door. It had to be a foot thick. I scowled at Carla. Yeah, nothing fishy about a freezer in a hole-in-the-wall bar that rivals a bank vault. Hey, watch what you're calling a hole-in-the-wall, friend. Muggs emerged with a duffel bag, cold steam pouring out behind him as he tossed it to Carla. She buckled under its weight. And where exactly do you think we're going to hide this, Morneau? I was just about to offer Carla a flippant response that would have been amusing, though not structurally sound, given the orifice in question isn't equipped for such an assault, when a loud crash came from the interior of the bar. We entered to find the front window with a hole in it and the Molotov cocktail sliding across the wood floor, leaving a line of flames in its wake. Flames instantly crawled up and around Mug's prized possession, a framed picture of a group of dogs seated around a table playing poker. It was a gaudy affair, but it had grown on me over the years. Damn it, Morno. Muggs tossed a fire extinguisher over the bar at me and picked up the phone. I aimed the nozzle at the thickest area of flames. Hey, this one's not mine. It's all her. I jerked my head in Carla's direction as Muggs gave the 911 operator the information. Carla slung the strap of the duffel bag over one shoulder, pushed it around to rest on her back, and grabbed a second extinguisher Muggs retrieved from the back room while simultaneously speaking into the phone tucked between his chin and shoulder and watching his tasteless masterpiece go up in flames. So you're guessing this isn't a coincidence? No, Carla. I think it's safe to say it's a gratuitous detail meant to remind us that we have something someone else wants. Once the bulk of the fire was taken care of, I grabbed the bag from Carla and handed Muggs the extinguisher. We're gonna sneak out the back when the cops get here. There's a good chance someone's out there watching her car and we're gonna have to lose them. <laughs>